Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. My name is Karen. And this is Kathy. Your host for this podcast. Today, we are discussing episode 55 of Hou Gong Jin Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. The script of this episode will be posted on our website, chasingdramas.com. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter or email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com with any comments or questions. The title of today's episode is called Surprise Pikachu Face. For those of you who aren't familiar, this term is a popular meme or photo on the internet. I'll post a picture of it on our website and Instagram and Twitter. But essentially, it's the Pokemon Pikachu very dumbfounded at what's happening. In this episode, there are several instances where this surprise Pikachu face is an apt portrayal of the characters and quite frankly, our feelings of what's happening. And yes, I think I'm very clever at using this meme throughout this episode and for our title. That brings us to episode 55. We will start off with our recap and thoughts and then dive into our analysis. The Empress Dowager has pretty much had it with the Empress's schemes and behavior. In the last episode, we saw that the Empress tried to poison the fourth prince in order to secure her adoptive son the third prince's claim to the throne. This, among many other things, causes the Empress Dowager to reconsider bringing our main character Jin Huan back to the palace. Jin Huan is currently at a temple where she's been banished for the past three years. She is pregnant and looking for a way back to the palace. In the last episode, we saw that the Empress cleverly used astronomy to hold her progress back, but it looks like the Empress Dowager is going to change all of that. The Empress Dowager, Tai Ho, asks for the Emperor to come see her while the Empress is also there. In front of the Empress, the Empress Dowager makes clear that she is very happy to have Jin Huan come back. She's not worried at all about any constellation threat. The most important thing is the Emperor's bloodline. They cannot let the Emperor's bloodline be astray out in the wild without proper medical attention. This scene is hilarious, in my opinion, because the Empress Dowager is very pointedly hinting to the Empress that she will not allow any further harm come to her grandchildren. All in this very calm manner, of course. The Emperor is none the wiser. At this point, the Empress really has no option but to back down. The Empress doesn't show her anger, she just says, okay, I agree, but you can tell that she is furious at this. The next scene is probably the kicker of this episode. The emperor is now resolute in bringing Jin Huan back to the palace. He discusses his plans with the empress as they prep for bed. You can tell she is nudging him to not bring her back, but he is adamant. He acknowledges that court ministers oppose the idea of bringing Jin Huan back to the palace. But our clever emperor has a solution for every obstacle that is hurled at him. Number one, 
The court ministers don't want me to build a new palace for Jin Huan's return due to cost concerns. Fine. I will refurbish an existing palace, Yongshougong, for her to live in. Number two. The ministers don't want a banished concubine to return because she is from a lower Han banner family and because her father was a condemned official. Fine. I'm going to give her another last name. Her last name will no longer be Jin anymore. It will be Niu Hulu, a powerful Manchu last name. She will now be a part of the upper three banners of the Manchu clans. That way, she will not be the daughter of a criminal. What does this even mean? We'll talk about this at the end of the episode. Number three. The ministers say she doesn't have a son. She can't come back. What grounds does she have to come back on? Fine. I will give her a son. She will now raise the fourth prince. Number four. She's not old enough to have birthed the fourth prince? Fine. We'll add 10 years to Jin Huan's age. Instead of uh, being 22 right now, she's now 32. Here, let's please insert surprise Pikachu face for the Empress. Like what? The Emperor is just going all out for Zhen Huan. I can only imagine what the Empress is thinking about at this moment. When the Emperor asks what she thinks, she has to just kindly say, I think it's all great, but she must be seething internally. The Empress is doing everything possible to prevent Jin Huan from returning, but the Emperor has solved for every obstacle. She, the Empress, cannot do anything at this point except for accept the reality that Jin Huan is coming back. Her constellation obstacle? No longer an obstacle. That threat lasted a whole of a quarter of an episode. See, what did we say? The Empress totally shot herself in the foot this time. If she had stopped with that constellation, the Empress Dowager would not have been so annoyed with the Empress, but the Empress just had to go poison the fourth prince. Now, the Empress Dowager needs to bring Jin Huan back as a counter to the Empress's power and to protect the emperor's bloodline, because the empress has a habit of killing the emperor's unborn children. Or now, born children. The empress has no one to blame but herself for this result. She was drunk with the power that she's amassed, and now has to live with the consequences. But Jin Huan is coming back with a vengeance. The empress just doesn't know it yet. The last point the emperor raises is that he is going to change Jin Huan's title. Her previous title of Wan caused a lot of problems, so he's going to change it to Xi, which means brightness or light. He wants to convey that his and Jin Huan's path is filled with light and brightness. She will also be returning to the palace as a Fei or consort rather than Pin or the imperial concubine one step above what she was when she left the palace. And that's that. Jin Huan is returning to the palace. After three years apart, I think the emperor finally realizes that he did indeed love Jin Huan 
Otherwise, why do all of this? He could have just found another woman for his harem. The name of Wan was given to Jin Huan as a replacement for the Empress Chun Yuan, his first wife. The emperor fully acknowledges now that that name will cause more problems in the future and tosses it out. Jin Huan is Jin Huan, not a shadow of Chun Yuan. If only he realized this three years ago, before he broke Jin Huan's heart. Unfortunately, there's no hope for a full reconciliation now because Jin Huan does not love the emperor anymore. Well, congratulations to Jin Huan. Everything is going according to plan. She has successfully fooled everyone into thinking that her child is the child of the emperors when in reality it is the 17th princess child. In the last episode, we failed to mention that just after spending the afternoon with the emperor, the emperor decided to bring back Jin Huan's father from exile to Beijing to receive medical attention. That was one goal accomplished. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. The other issue is enacting revenge for the 17th prince, which she will achieve once she returns to the palace. She will have resources then. It has been about four months since the 17th prince left and unfortunately died. Su Peisheng now comes to read the imperial edict by the emperor assigning Jin Huan her title and telling her when she will return to the palace. Great. All she has to do now is to go back and prep. Except, the 17th prince shows up. Please imagine the biggest surprise Pikachu face possible. Um, what? Wasn't he supposed to be dead? How does he pop up randomly? In a cruel twist of fate, it turns out that he survived when his ship broke apart and escaped capture in order to return back to Jin Huan and his mother. Jin Huan is overwhelmed. On one hand, she is thrilled he is alive, but on the other hand, she is like, no. What? She is now trapped because of her plans. I cannot imagine how she is feeling at this moment. Even though she loves him with all of her heart, at this point she has to lie to the 17th prince about who the child's father really is. She has to lie to him and say she doesn't love him and does her best to try to make him hate her. This is all done to protect him because the royal edict was already declared. She has no choice but to return to the palace. If they run away, numerous people will be implicated in what happened. People will deduce that Jin Huan's child is not the emperor's child, which could mean the death of her family and his mother, uh, the 17th prince's mother. Her maids might be killed, his servants as well. There are just too many people they care about and need to protect that they cannot just leave, or at least she knows this. Their loved ones could all die due to their selfishness. Jin Huan implores the 17th prince that they cannot be so selfish. Jin Huan also knows that what she's done isn't pretty. Essentially, she cheated on the 17th prince with the emperor. Otherwise, how would the emperor think that the child is his? The 17th prince, being an amazing guy, doesn't mind that the child is not his, or at least he doesn't think is his, 
He wants to take her away from all of this. They technically still have time, but she cannot go through with that. They have a very heartfelt and tearful goodbye where they concede fate, timing, life, whatever you have it, played them. They've been apart for only four months, but there is no coming back from these four months. They just have to accept that she has to go back to the palace and that they will never be together again. If only he hadn't left on this trip ordered by the emperor, their lives may have been so different. Part of me feels that this series of events happened too perfectly from a timing perspective. Like, he shows up immediately after Su Peisheng, the emperor's head eunuch, comes with the royal edict, therefore binding Jin Huan to the palace. If it didn't happen, then there may still be a chance to change the situation, but nope. It's difficult for me to accept that all of this happened in a way or in the way it did for Jin Huan to succeed in her plan of tricking the emperor and for her to have this second heartbreak, but here we are. Perhaps this is also one of the reasons why folks in general don't like these episodes um, too much, maybe because it's not as rooted in plausibility as some of the other episodes. Can I also just mention that when the 17th prince returned to see Jin Huan, Jin Huan is stunned, but guess who rushes to give the 17th prince a hug? It's Huan Bi, Jin Huan's sister slash maid. Huan Bi has been in love with the 17th prince probably for as long as she's known him. Fortunately, she understands that her older sister and the 17th prince love each other and doesn't try to sabotage this relationship. But still, I think it's funny that she rushes over to hug him, whereas Jin Huan doesn't even do that. The drama allows us to see a crucial scene between the 17th prince and his mother. At this point, people would exclaim, why doesn't the 17th prince's mother just tell him the truth when he went to visit her? She explains to her maid that if she told the truth to her son, he would insist on whisking Jin Huan away. This would create more problems for the both of them. She understands Jin Huan's predicament and what would happen if the two of them ran away. She decides to choose the lesser of the two evils and lie to the 17th prince. That way, hopefully, the two of them will move on. In the biggest slap in the face, I would say, the emperor, upon seeing that the 17th prince is alive and healthy, requests that the 17th prince formally bring back Jin Huan to the palace. The emperor shares his excitement of bringing his beloved Sifei back to his arms and doesn't notice anything amiss in his brother's reaction to this. The 17th prince agrees to do so, but it is so heartbreaking. He has to personally send off the love of his life to his brother. At the end of the episode, we see Jin Huan in all of her consort, or fei attire. While she was praying as a nun, she had minimal hair accessories and makeup. But now, look at that bright red lipstick. Look at that eyeliner. Look at that smoky eye. Look at the gold on her headdress and her earrings. I like to think of her now as her in her battle armor. She has to go back to play the part of Si Fei, 
Her attire is vastly different from when she first entered the palace. She's no longer the green and naive girl. She's going back to the palace as a new person, ready for battle. Jin Huan definitely died when she left the palace. She is now Niu Hulu Jin Huan. I hope you can catch it, but the audio team even deepens the voice actress's voice to make Jin Huan or the voice seem older and more authoritative. The seventeenth prince comes to bring her back to the palace. It is as devastating as you can imagine, but Jin Huan has to keep walking forward. Perhaps the most satisfying part of the episode is at the end here, where Jin Huan is leaving the nunnery. She speaks to all of the nuns at Ganlusi or the temple. Previously, many of the nuns treated her poorly, but now, guess who's boss? Jin Huan demotes the nun who accused her of stealing and sentences her to be beaten twenty times with a wooden stick. Look at that presence! Look at that aura! This is the beginning of where we can say, "Yes, girl." <laughs> this episode, to me personally, felt so much like Romeo and Juliet. I think the roles are reversed, and both characters don't die, but I think there's a lot of similarities. In this situation, the seventeenth prince is Juliet. He disappears for four months and is presumed dead, much like Juliet when she drinks the potion to fake her own death. Jin Huan and Romeo, believing that their beloved is dead, make some quick decisions. Jin Huan heads back to the palace. Romeo drinks the actual poison. As these irreversible decisions are made, the other one either shows up or wakes up to see the aftermath of that decision. I'm thinking specifically of the Leonardo DiCaprio version of Romeo and Juliet. Where Romeo actually sees Juliet wake up, but it's too late. Both of the men can't really do anything about the decisions they've made, and、uh, they have to live with it or die with it. In this situation, the Seventeenth Prince really has the short end of the stick. He did absolutely nothing wrong. I do like how they—I feel like they like tanned him up a little bit. When he returns, he does seem a bit more grizzled, a bit more hardened. So he's not as like, what would he say, as、uh, serene as we usually see him. He does seem like he has experienced some tough days、um, in the past. So I, I will again commend the drama for that. And with that, we end episode fifty-five. The seventeenth prince returned to his love, but nothing can change the fact that Jin Huan will never be his again. He doesn't know that her child is his and must take her back to the palace. Jin Huan is in her battle armor, ready to face whatever is thrown at her at the palace. In episode fifty-six, we are starting the last chapter of this drama. Are you ready for it? I know I am. All right, now on to some analysis. This episode is actually quite interesting because now that Jin Huan has a new identity, so to speak, we have to talk about who this person is and how that relates to history. First things first, let's talk about the new clan that the emperor stuffs Jin Huan into. Niu Hulu Shi. This is a Manchu last name. 
He also mentions that she is now in the upper three banners or Shang San Qi. What does that mean? Niohulu is the oldest Manchu last name and is one of the eight major Manchu last names. Clearly, this means that giving this Niohulu last name to Jin Huan is a big deal. Her last name is no longer Jin of the Han banner families. This Niohulu family has produced several famous individuals in history, or at least during the Qing dynasty. One of the most famous is the super corrupt official who wielded immense power under the reign of Qianlong Emperor, our current emperor's son. This guy's name is He Shen. This was actually quite a revelation to me. He Shen is a very popular bad guy portrayed in Chinese dramas, uh, particularly in the late 90s and early 2000s. There are quite a few dramas where the famous actor Wang Gang portrays He Shen. It's pretty much a classic role now. When you go back and you think of He Shen as a character in a TV show or a drama, it is what Wang Gang portrays him as. There are lots of reviews and commentary, what have you, on the fact that Wang Gang's portrayal is not true to what He Shen acted and looked like um, back in the day or back in the Qing Dynasty, but still, everybody loved this role. This He Shen is very powerful and has the ear of the Emperor Qianlong. I've watched a ton of these dramas growing up where um, Wang Gang portrays He Shen. I never knew that his last name was Niohulu. Very interesting. Most of the other famous people from this family are the empresses and concubines that this clan produce. I'm reading through the materials and there's actually a lot of women married as concubines or ended up as empresses uh, to the emperor all throughout the Qing dynasty, which again reinforces how strong and powerful this um, clan is. Now, what is this talk about the Upper Three Banners, or Shang San Qi? So, during the Qing Dynasty, you have eight banners that create the administrative and military divisions of Manchu society. The banners had two groupings, the Upper Three Banners and the Lower Five Banners. The Upper Three Banners included Zheng Bai Qi, or the Plain White Banner, Zheng Huang Qi, or the Plain Yellow Banner, and Xiang Huang Qi, or the Bordered Yellow Banner. These banners and the families in these banners were under the command of the emperor himself. Naturally, this means they were more important. Jin Huan originally came from the lower five banners, but now has been promoted to be in the upper three banners with her new last name. She is now part of Xiang Huang Qi, or the Bordered Yellow Banner. I definitely did not pay enough attention to this comment previously, so I'm learning quite a bit here. And of course, the fact that Jin Huan moved from a Han Banner family to a Manchu Banner family is a big deal, because of course in the Qing Dynasty, the Han Banner families were of a lower tier, or lower class. Lastly, let's talk about Jin Huan now that she's headed back to the palace with this new identity. This new identity is what history will remember as the mother of the next emperor. 
The spoiler here is that the fourth prince, who is now claimed to be her son, is indeed the famous Qianlong Emperor. So we'll see how the fourth prince manages to become heir apparent because right now he has an older brother, the third prince, who is technically in line for the throne. Jin Huan's real-life counterpart is Fei or consort Si of the Niohuru family. So things are matching up. Fei was born in 1692 and became a concubine for our current emperor Yongzheng at only age 12. She gave birth to the fourth prince in 1711 at age 19. When her husband died in 1735, she became the empress dowager at age 43. She never became an empress during her lifetime, but did indeed become empress dowager when her son succeeded the throne. She lived for 85 years, which is quite a long time, uh, especially during the Qing dynasty, and was a constant presence during her son's Emperor Qianlong's reign. In most of the Chinese dramas that portray Qianlong Emperor, you will see Huang Taihou or Jin Huan <laughs> in the background. It's really funny because when you look at newer dramas or even older dramas that depict uh, Qianlong's mother, people will comment and say, hey, look, that's Jin Huan. Look at how Jin Huan is doing. And when, for example, Jin Huan is not as smart or the Empress Dowager in that drama is not as smart as Jin Huan was portrayed in this drama, people are like, this is not the real Jin Huan. So you'll see comments in, um, for, what's it called? The story of Yanxi Palace. People are like, you know, the Empress Dowager is smart because she is Jin Huan. And then in some other dramas, they're like, oh, this Jin Huan is just not smart. What happened? <laughs> in several of the dramas, you'll see that um, the Empress Dowager will be the character that drives a lot of the dramas. In some versions, she's benevolent, while in others, she is the antagonist. But she is a constant presence in Tianlong Emperor's life. This drama is very clever. By adding 10 years to Jin Huan's age, they are able to match uh, more or less, the real-life age of Qianlong's birth mother. This drama is trying to place Jin Huan into this Manchu woman's life with this Han woman's background. I think it's interesting that this is how the story shakes out. To be quite honest, when I first watched the drama, I was wondering how the fourth son of the emperor was going to end up as the next emperor and how Jin Huan was going to be involved because pretty much everyone knows that Hongli is going to be the next emperor. In history, this woman also only had one child, the fourth prince. There is no mention of Jin Huan's daughter she birthed or her current pregnancy, which I think is very, very interesting. Well, that is it for our discussion today of episode 55 and our analysis. Hope you guys enjoyed the discussion. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, check out our website. Otherwise, have a great week. We will catch you in the next episode.